renowned investor and author Jim Rogers is back to give us his economic outlook and talk about the markets and how you should be investing right now. Jim, it's good to see you again. Welcome back. I'm delighted to be here, David. Thank you. Jim, let's start with your macroeconomic outlook. As usual, you have uh, your finger on the pulse on what's going on in the world. Tell us how you're reading the markets today. You mean the U? We talk about the U.S. Are we talking about? I mean, there, there are lots and lots of. There's a big world out there, David. What are you talking about? Talking about China? Talking about Japan? Let's Korea? Start, let's start with the U.S. and uh, we'll talk about uh, domestic markets first in the U.S. Okay. Well, as as you know, um, the United States Central Bank has been printing gigantic amounts of money, and the central bank, central government, has been spending huge amounts of money. So all this money's got to go somewhere. It's going into the markets. The economies are getting better because the economy stopped. You know, I live in Singapore, for instance. Well, the airport was empty. Now there are a few flights a day. So things are getting better, but they're still not anywhere near what they were before. And that's happening all over the world because we're going from zero to, I don't know how far we're going. You know, so for a while, the economy in the US is going to get better. And certainly the markets, as long as they print all this money. Now, November, the markets were very strong. Maybe we'll have a pullback, but if so, you know, then Washington is gonna panic and do everything they can to get the markets up again. But that's true in several other countries around the world. Do you think that uh, valuations for the stock markets, for uh, domestic markets are fair right now? You talked about a possible pullback. The Dow at over 30,000 points, could it keep going higher from here? Could it? Well, anything can happen and probably will while they're printing all this money. But David, many stocks in the U.S. are down in 2020. There are a few stocks that are going through the roof every day. I mean, some parts of the U.S. market are developing a market, beginning of a bubble. Uh, but many parts of the market are not. That's why I would suspect this is going to go on for a while, because it's not a full-fledged bubble yet. It is in, it's beginning to be in some stocks and in other countries as well, China, Japan, you know, but in the U.S. And I don't know anywhere where there's a full-fledged bubble yet in any stock market around the world. The bond market is a bubble. Bond market all over the world is a bubble. But I don't know any stock market that's a full-fledged bubble yet. Are there particular markets around the world that you would prefer if you looked at emerging markets, for example, versus domestic markets? How would you rate those securities around the world? Well, I, I buy Japanese ETFs. They had, they had the Japanese market is down 30% from its all-time high. And the Bank of Japan buys ETFs. It prints huge amounts of money and buys ETFs every day. David, he has more money than I do. If he's going to buy ETFs, so am I. And the market's down. Likewise, in China, the Chinese market is down 30 or 40% from its all-time high. You know, and they've done a less bad job of dealing with all of this. So China, Japan, Russia, Russia's hated. Uh, there are markets that are still down, and I would prefer to buy those. But, you know, they're also, I mean, commodities. Commodities may be the cheapest asset class around right now. If you looked at uh, developments since the last time we spoke in the summertime, one of the major developments is uh, a vaccine for COVID-19 that is in the works of being rolled out. Several companies have already developed vaccines. The markets have ingested this as good news for the most part. But some uh, economists are still skeptical as to how effective this vaccine could be 
in the initial phases of uh, the first couple quarters, for example, of 2021. Do you think that this news, the vaccine news, will have any significant impact on, on domestic markets in particular? It already has. I mean, I'm not the only one who knows that there's uh, there are vaccines being rolled out. Uh, it certainly will take a while to vaccinate people. Uh, you know, there are six billion people in the world. So it'll certainly take a long time to vaccinate everybody. So yes, it's good news. Yes, it's happening. Yes, it will make things better. But yes, it will take time. Now, offline, you're telling me that you are very positive on the equities markets for the most part in the short term. Uh, eventually, should we have another correction, it would be the worst in our lifetime. Can you elaborate on uh, how that process would take place? Well, what I said was we've had better markets periodically for thousands of hundreds of years. Uh, we will have them again. In 2008, we had a better market because of too much debt. Well, David, since 2008, debt everywhere in the world has skyrocketed, staggering amounts. So what I said was the next time we have a bear market, and I don't know when it's going to be, watch Kitco News. They'll tell you when it's coming. But when it comes, it's going to be the worst in my lifetime. It has to be because the debt is so, so, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, you tell me why. But the debt is so much, much, much higher all over the world now than in 2008. What's the relationship between debt and market performance, Jim? Can you break that down for us? Well, when markets start going down, for, when bear markets start, for whatever reason, uh, people are very skeptical of companies that have a lot of debt because that's fear. Mm -hmm. as, as exuberance gives way to fear, people start worrying about will they survive or can they survive or their earnings must go down because they have so much debt. And some companies start going bankrupt, the really bad ones, and, that, and it spreads. I mean, this is just a simple bear market there. I'm not making any of this up. It's happened hundreds of times in bear markets all over the world uh, throughout history, and that's the way they work. So, Jim, how should investors prepare for such a market correction? It's not determined when it could happen or even the magnitude of such a crash, but we should still be prepared. How should we be allocating our assets in preparation? Well, everybody should allocate their assets in what they themselves know. They shouldn't be listening to me or anybody else. Should only invest in what they know. I may have 100% invested in Russia, but if they can't even find Russia on a the map, they shouldn't think about in investing in Russia. Uh, I may have a lot of money in commodities, but if they don't know what commodities are, you know, you, everybody should invest in what they know, should not listen to others, and then they will know how to get through any problems that develop. You told me last time we spoke that uh, it's important for an investor to pick out things that are hated and or cheap. Are there any such assets around the world today that might fit that criteria? Well, Russia still, uh, about Chinese wine companies recently, you know, the virus caused bars to close, restaurants to close, people stop going out. That's starting to change. I can see it on the internet. China's open. Uh, I told you about Japanese ETFs. The Japanese market's down over 30% from its all-time high. U.S. is making all-time highs. So there's certainly still places that maybe there are opportunities. Do you, do you like the technology sector 
in the U.S. right now. Uh, it's been a driving force of the equities markets for the last year. Most of the tech stocks have done very well, except for the last month or so. Do I, I like it? I mean, I'm not going to buy those things. Are you kidding? I mean, Apple? No. I'm not just the first one to know about Apple. You know, apparently every uh, every uh, new investor in, in, in the U.S. right now is buying Apple. Yeah. You know, in China, they're buying Tencent. They're buying all of these stocks, the new investors. It's not for me. I mean, it may double again, but not for me. I prefer to buy things that are cheap and hated. So something that's not being looked at. So Apple, for example, is everybody everybody analyzes that stock. There's there's as an investor, it, it's difficult to find uh, value in in something that's looked at by everybody. Is what you're saying? Not only just looked at, owned by everybody. Owned by everybody, yeah. You know, and many who own it and don't even know what it is, but it doesn't matter. They're making money, so they're happy. But yeah. that's not for me. I mean, I'd rather, I bought a Russian shipping company recently. Oh my God, you talk about hated. It's hated. Russia's hated. That company's hated. There are opportunities where things are hated and nobody knows about yet. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would attribute your style to value investing. You're, you're, you, you're legendary for, for how you've invested and Many might consider you one of the better value investors of our day. Can you walk us through the process of uh, identifying a security that you think is undervalued? You already mentioned some of the things already. You know, cheap, hated, low debt. I mentioned, I mentioned Chinese wine stocks. I suspect that very few people watching this show know there are Chinese wine stocks, much less that they might go up. And I told you, the virus has closed restaurants and bars and everything else. So conceivably, these stocks will go up again when people start going out. Uh, as far as I can tell, they have good products, mm-hmm. decent management, et cetera. Uh, but David, I don't just invest in stocks. I, I, bonds, I, I short, I'm not short bonds right now, but commodities, currencies, lots of other opportunities. As I look around the world, bonds are a bubble. Many stocks are making all-time highs. Property in many countries is certainly in a bubble. The cheapest asset class I know are commodities. Now, I mean, sugar's down 80%. Silver's down 50% from its all-time high. These are the kind, this is not a bubble. As I look at asset classes, at the moment, commodities seem to be the cheapest. I'm buying more commodities as we speak. Now, you have uh, started or you've launched an ETF, uh, the Rogers Commodity Index Fund, back in the 90s. What were the components of this index and how did you decide uh, the percentage of allocation of components when you launched this ETF? Well, I was about to go around the world, but I, and I realized that the commodity bull market was about to start. I wanted to invest in an index because I was going to be traveling. I looked at all the indices. None of them were, I wouldn't invest in any of them. They were all hopeless. So I came up with my own. There were over there were over 35 uh, components, and it was basically because I wanted it to be a worldwide index. Many of the indexes were pretty narrow that existed, and they were mainly U.S. centric. I wanted something that would inter- give international the cost of doing business, the cost of staying alive. And so there were over 35 components, and the and the weightings were essentially based on you. I mean, oil was much heavier than sugar. Because we sure. all use a lot more oil than we use sugar sure. in our lives. 
Sure. Okay. Now, uh, how do you feel about oil today with uh, the economy on the verge of recovering, like you've mentioned? Uh, analysts have said that energy is another breakout commodity for 2021. Do you agree with that? Well, oil is in the process of making a complicated bottom. Uh, you know, bottoms go up and down, up and down, and go sideways for a while, and then eventually turn around and go up. You know, known reserves of oil continue to decline, except for fracking, but that fracking bubble has burst. Before, if you could spell fracking, they would give you money, but now that's over. You have to make money. And so we're beginning to see bottoms developing in energy because it takes a while and because of the demand, which is down a lot, but we're making a bottom. Right. I, I have no idea of when it ends, 2021, 22, 23, but then it'll turn around and start going up again. What about, uh, let's talk about gold and silver now. I know that you, uh, I know that you've, studied gold and silver quite a bit over your career. And uh, you, you, you told me last time that gold is not a currency. And, I, and that stuck with me. A lot of people think that gold is a currency, but that's a misconception. How would you define gold today, given today's macroeconomic landscape? What is its role? David, if gold is a, is a currency, can you go down to the shop and buy bread with gold? I mean, I doubt very seriously if anybody's going to take gold as a currency anywhere, and maybe a few shops, but very, very few in the world. So you can define it as a currency if you want. It really doesn't matter to me. Um, gold is a commodity which has been around for centuries and will continue to be around for centuries, whether we like it or not. I'm an old peasant, and us old peasants know when things go wrong, we better have some gold. We better have some silver in our closet or under our bed because it's, well, it is the thing which will get us through when governments or currencies start having problems. You've studied also commodity cycles. Can you tell us where gold right now is currently in the, in the larger super cycle? Well, gold is near its all-time high. So gold is near its all-time high. I don't know what, to, what else I can tell you. Uh, it's not making loads. I'm not buying gold. Uh, lots of people are being forced to sell their gold to buy food right now, especially in India, which is the largest gold country in the world. Uh, but I will be buying more gold and I'll be buying more silver uh, later. I'll buy more silver than gold because silver is much cheaper on a, on a historic basis. You're right. Gold is all at an all-time high. We're near its all-time highs. Analysts I've spoken to have said that even though it's reached all-time highs, this is just the beginning of a larger bull run into uh, into potentially even newer highs. Can you can you see that happening? Yes. No. I suspect they suspect they're right this time because there's going to be great turmoil. Yeah. Certainly in the next two or three years in the world market. We talked before about gigantic amounts of debt. We talked about how a bubble is starting to develop in some stock markets. The bubbles always end. Uh, when that ends, and when it, all this debt comes crashing in on all of us, many people are going to turn to gold and silver again. Finally, Jim, I'd like to ask you about monetary policy. In your career of observing different Federal Reserve chairs and boards, uh, how is it possible that we have stimulus on such a large scale today? It, it ha would this have been possible back in the 80s or 70s? No, of course not. William McChesney Martin in the 60s wouldn't. Are you kidding me? No, no, those were, he was the guy who came up and said, 
Well, my job is to take the punch bowl away when people start having fun. When they're not having fun, I give them all the punch they want. And when they start having too much fun, I take the punch bowl home. You know, Volker was another guy like that. But since then, in the last 30 years, India had a good central banker for a while, but I cannot think of any decent central banker in the past 20 or 30 years other than them. Now, central bankers are essentially bureaucrats and politicians who really don't have a clue. They, their job is to keep their job. And the way they keep their job is to keep people happy. And that means print money and spend money and borrow money. Is there any way that they could reverse what they've done in the last couple of years? Can they stop printing money? Can they raise interest rates? Can they put an end to limited quantitative easing? Can they? Of course they can. Will they? No, of course not. No, no, no. You think any of those guys are going to do that? They all want to keep their job. If, if they call up Mr. Biden and say, well, Mr. Biden, next week, we're going to start interest rates going back to 2%, 5%. You kidding? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it's politically no motivated. In the world. I cannot think of any country. I mean, I told you, in the Bank of Japan, he, he prints money every day and buys as much uh, as many bonds and ETFs and stocks as he can. It's happening in England. I mean, England's using MMT, more money today. They're not announcing it, but they're just printing as fast as they can. I don't know. Well, Russia's done a less bad job. China's done a less bad job, but none of them have done a, a good job. Right. Okay. Well, Jim, uh, I want to thank you again so much for your time and uh, for sharing us your thoughts. Thank you very much. My pleasure, David. Thank you. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Where are we right now in the commodity cycle?